Now that some things seem back to normal, during this past year and a half, it has been something like out of a horror film. We are kind of all getting back to seeing a lot of people in person, having events like weddings, having concerts. It feels like a dream almost that we're going back to what we knew before. So I still wanted to continue the conversation with entrepreneurs to see where is their business going now in this new post-pandemic world as we start to get out of it? And what lessons did they learn throughout this tough time that they're going to carry on into their business for years to come? Join me now. I'm Jennifer Lee for Season 3 of Coping 19. Every day when I turn on Instagram or any type of social media or even the TV, I'm starting to see signs of life getting back to normal. I know we still have our struggles with this pandemic. Cases are going up in other countries. Cases are going up a little bit here, right in BC, in Canada. But I think it's something that we're going to be seeing a lot. The pandemic is unfortunately not going to go away with just a snap of a finger which I know we all wish would, but it is getting a little bit better. And one thing that I really liked this past week was the fact that the Olympics started. I know there is controversy around that as well. In Japan currently right now, their numbers are going up. So a lot of people feel that the game should not be taking place. But the one thing I say about the Olympics is it feels hopeful this year. It feels like we're getting a little bit back to normal. And it's so nice to see the athletes just doing what they do best. They already had to wait a year to show us their skills and to just see their pure determination even after the games is postponed by a year is amazing. And it's so inspiring because we've all gone through this huge challenge, which of course is COVID-19. And we could learn a lot from the athletes, just their uh, mental state they have to be in to win the medals and to be so disciplined in their respective area. And it's so nice to just kind of watch all the footage from the Olympics. And I'm not just meaning like the athletes, but on a lot of the news stations, they're showing the families of the athletes on Zoom and other video chat software, because obviously there are no spectators, no travelers allowed in Japan right now. So your family can't go with you to cheer you on. So it's just nice to see the togetherness and they're showing like full stadiums, especially here in Canada of people that are cheering on their favorite athlete. And when they win, it's like so exciting. Like the whole room is like in a roar. So it's so nice to have that togetherness and to, like I say, see people overcome challenges to realize their dreams. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to my next guest, Sam Lehman, who is a very successful real estate developer in New York. He didn't have an easy start to life. He was in a very negative environment while growing up and he had a lot of challenges. So I want to talk to him about how he overcome them. And even just in the past few years, did he learn anything from his tough upbringing that really helped him during the pandemic? Because the pandemic, just like it wasn't good for all of us, was also not good for him and his business. And we're going to get into that as well. He also has a really great book that's coming out in January 2022. And it's Harvard Can't Teach What You Learn From the Streets. And I love the name of it. So we're going to get 
all into that. But of course, everyone has a beginning and I love to learn where everybody starts from. So Sam, tell us who you are and where it all started. My name is Sam Liebman, L-I-E-B-M-A-N. And I was a Jewish kid from Brooklyn with empty pockets, grew up in a dysfunctional family. And against all odds, you know, and working hard, managed to the real rags to riches story, they tell me. You know, basically, uh, my father was just psychologically damaged. He wasn't physically abusive, but he was mentally abusive. Just his favorite answer to anything I wanted was, I'm sorry, I can't help you. So I really, since 12, at least before, I've always been on my own. And I, like I say, I'm the product of the streets of Canarsie, Brooklyn, which was like the mafia minor leagues. I mean, they wrote a famous book about my, some of my acquaintances and friends growing up called Murder Machine. You can get that. It's out. And um, a lot of the people, you know, I had a, a summer camp I called Camp Concrete, because it was a backyard at PS114. And of the 25 kids that went there, I can name 18 that are in jail for the rest of their lives for murder or dead. It takes a certain type, especially being a Jewish kid and a little Jewish kid with a big mouth to survive that. There's a lot of things you have to learn called street smarts. And I've used those street smarts through my entire career. And that's why I wrote the book, Harvard Can't Teach What You Learned From the Streets, because to become successful, I believe you need street smarts and the traditional education, and that package is what made me successful. So, you know, I was a horrible student, not because I was dumb, but because I just didn't want to go back to my house. I was so ashamed of the house and the condition. I used to walk around the block till the kids left to go into my house. I don't want you to get any tissues, okay? But it, it was tough growing up. It really was. And it would make matters worse. My grandmother on my father's side had 13 grandchildren. And they used to have family circles, like to get everybody together close. But all they did was have everyone antagonize everyone. I'll just tell you two quick things. You know, I used to want to go to my Uncle Jack and really look forward to it. And I'd ring the doorbell one time and I heard, here comes the shit from Canarsie. And, you know, all that negativity, it brings you down. But I had a lot of self-esteem. I was good in sports. And I always felt that if the next guy could do it, I could do it. And another time in school, I remember in 11th grade, my 11th grade math teacher stopped the class and said, everybody look at Sam Liebman. He's going to be driving a truck for the rest of his life. And I deserved it. Okay. But the irony is he quit teaching in a few years and opened up Tropicana routes. So I hope I didn't influence his decision. And then, you know, in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. First, I was uh, pre-med because it sounded good. I went to Brooklyn College and, you know, pre-med sounded great to meet girls. At least for the first year, you didn't have to be a doctor. You just have to say I wanted to be a doctor. And that worked. Then it was psychology, let's see, computers, phys ed, had no idea. And at that time in the 70s, Either you became a doctor, lawyer, accountant. Well, that's what you wound up being, basically. And um, I feel bad for kids now. And it's a whole new set of, of rules with the internet. And um, kids are having a tough challenge, really, you know, learning what they want to do or expecting what to do. And the schools do not prepare you for this. So in my sophomore year in college, when I took accounting one, I had my first epiphany. 
And that was due to a professor named Professor Robert Miners. And I give him credit for uh, my academic, call it epitome. This guy was awesome. He was a stand-up comedian. He used to come into the lecture hall of about 50 kids. First day, he'd walk down. He had a sign underneath his arm, a briefcase, and he put a sign on the, on the blackboard. It said, flunk now, avoid the rush. Anybody got a girlfriend? Raise your hand. Get rid of her. You're not going to have time to see her. You got to study, study, study. But everybody knew it was a show. But what this teacher did was he would dictate a difficult concept with an example. And by writing it down, he used to say all the time, circle the room. Okay, scholars, write this down. And what it did was it made the knowledge go through your head. And I'd walk out of there with five to 10 pages of notes and read them and reread them. And it replaced the textbook. And he was by no means an easy teacher. And he really enabled me, for me, to use that technique of writing things down to learn how to study. And again, I passed the CPA test, which is one of the hardest tests to do. Then I worked in accounting firms for five years, learning that, which I think is a very valuable uh, thing to do if you want to do it. And then I got a break. In 1982, there was a um, very well-known attorney named Robert Lieb, and he was starting a development company. It's now called Mountain Development Corp., very big company in New Jersey. We started out, I got hired, with Bob, myself, and a secretary named Sandy in a small office in West Orange, New Jersey. And now he has like 22 million square feet in five different states. So at 27 years old, I got a, what I call a Harvard education. So that's my story. I could just listen to you, though, because you have such a fascinating history. And I relate to so many things that you said, because I know back in my day when I went to school, I had a teacher tell me I wasn't very good at English. I had a grade 10 teacher. And they literally told me, they're like, you're never going to university. You're never accomplishing anything. Really? And I graduated with a degree in, and it was not just that in high honors. So, you know, maybe it made me push myself a little harder, but I was like, I'm going to prove that person wrong. No clue what happened to them. I don't know if they're maybe still teaching English. But didn't that put a fire in your belly when someone said you can't do it? Yeah, I, and I actually kind of yeah. thank them for that. Yeah. Yeah, you should send them a thank you note. I mean, when someone told me you can't do it or who are you to do it, which happened a lot, especially with my family, who the hell do you think you are? Oh, it's crazy. You know, it's based on their own insecurity, but that doesn't matter. It hurts. And we need positive role models and not negative. And I'll tell you, on my other side of the family, my mom's side, it was just the opposite. You know, we didn't get to see them much because they lived in Jersey far away. My father wouldn't take us. But it was the Braff family, Harold Braff, who passed away two years ago. We were very close. And he had three sons and a daughter. And we would go to their house and they made us feel so welcome. They made us feel so welcome that we felt something's wrong here. Wait, wait, are we in a dream? Like, you know, Sam, eat more, eat more, you know. And one of the kids growing up is the famous actor, you know, who is Zach Braff. Oh, yeah, he, he seems like a lovely guy. So <laughs> he's, a great, he's a great guy. But they live in California now and they're all doing well. But it was just the opposite. We were rejected at one side of the family and totally loved and accepted from the other side. Gave us mixed messages. But a lot of people grow up in these areas and worse. And the most important thing is I had self-esteem. They tried to break me, but they couldn't do it. And it was hard. So growing up on the street, you know, you have to really learn a certain curriculum. 
of street smarts, to get your spider sense tingling. And that's what I've tried to teach people. You know, buying buildings, when I was an accountant, by the way, I've done so many businesses. I've learned all these businesses. I've always stayed in the background. And I would read everything because I was so afraid. I never wanted to depend on anybody else. So I would read all the leases that the lawyers did. I would read all the architect reports. And then I got to really master them. And then that really helped by knowing everything, being a student of the game, a gym rat. That's what I try to preach to people. Be the best you can be so you don't have to rely on other people. And that gives you confidence. Since you have really great business wisdom and you love sharing your business philosophies, I know that's one thing that inspired you to write the book. Harvard can't teach what you learn from the streets, but there are so many different books about real estate out there. So what makes your book different? I'm not a motivational preacher teacher. I'm not going to tell you that after this book, you're going to win lava without buying a ticket or brain surgery made easy or any of whatever these guys do, you know, these uh, motivational preacher teachers. What I will tell you is that after reading this book, my promise is that your knowledge of real estate will increase exponentially. I pronounced that right. That's the promise. After reading the book, your knowledge of real estate will increase exponentially. And that's my goal to do that. Not to make you rich right away, not to do this, but to do that. And people who are already working in a real estate related field, okay, you know, accountants, lawyers, um, doctors who invest, uh, people in management companies um, will benefit tremendously, as well as people that want to get into real estate. Through the years, many people have said to me, I want to get into real estate. I said, well, why don't you? And the answer, of course, is I wouldn't know where to start. I'm hoping that my book is a start. That's one thing I wanted to talk to you about too, because I think, like you said, by picking up your book, you're going to learn. It's not, you're going to pick up the book and you're going to be mega rich tomorrow. And I think that's uh, one of the misconceptions with uh, real estate. I know here, because there's a lot of reality TV shows, I'm not putting them down. I know here in Canada, a lot of people are like, oh, I want their lifestyle. I want to be like flying on a jet tomorrow. So I'm going to get into real estate. And then they realize it's a lot of hard work to get clients. You need to know a lot of stuff. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? That's one of the reasons also I wrote the book. You got to learn the fundamentals. You got to master the fundamentals. Why don't lawyers and accountants who are advising me on real estate buy property? Fear. They know a lot about real estate, but there's fear. How do you get over that fear? Well, you have to have someone almost take you by the hand, okay, and bring you and learn what it's like to be at a closing, to negotiate a deal, to what to look out for. These motivational preacher teachers, it's easy right away, quickly. Look at the words they use, quickly, right away. It's easy. Anyone could see it. Monkey see, monkey do. You know, learn while you're sleeping, brain surgery, made easy, learn in your spare time. This is craziness. I coined a a saying, welcome to the new millennium where instant gratification takes too long. People have no patience. I'll give you a perfect example. Turn on a three-year-old computer that when you bought it was, wow, this is state of the art. This is going to change my life. And now you're on it and you're going, come on, move, process. What's taking so long, right? We have become conditioned to immediate gratification. And it's not like that. Learning and doing well is a process. And what's going on now in the marketplace in real estate is really crazy. You got to know your stuff. You got to have been beaten up a few times. You got to be in the foxholes. You got to learn. 
And tell us a little bit about how you came up with the book, because I know you said you started to write it during COVID. So was there a moment of like, oh, I have time now. I'm going to I'm going to do this. OK, a little tip that I always did. So when I was young, I didn't have a record player. OK, so I found one in someone's garbage and I put it on at work. The problem is you have to put your ear right on the record player to hear it. And I love to sing and I have a horrible voice. Can't carry a tune, but I love to sing. Okay, there are many showers that would have needed acoustic equipment, okay? So making a long story short, I'd have to make up my own words because I couldn't hear the words. So I'd be walking around the streets humming and singing to myself with different words. By doing that, I developed a skill of being able to write lyrics. And I'll tell you one thing, this is a little bragging. So I can't sing, dance, or play an instrument, but I wrote 21 songs with an Emmy-winning producer and one song that I wrote, you can look it up, in my upstairs bathroom called Here We Are, Paul McCartney picked to be the opening song to his wedding to Heather Mills. Wow. But what I'm bringing up is I used to come up with words or sayings that I thought were good. I wrote them all on a piece of paper and put them in a box. And then about 10 years ago, I said, I want to write a book. First called it Lessons in Life, then this, then this, then this. And then I saw the difference, you know, where I am. I mean, I live in Roslyn, a pretty wealthy area. And everybody there was talking about the Ivy League schools. Everything was, oh, you're going to this school. That school's no good. I, it was disgusting. So I said, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a great accomplishment to, to, be, to go to an Ivy League school. It is. But it's not the end all. It doesn't mean that life is guaranteeing you success. You need street smarts. You need other things. And so I came up with Harvard Can't Teach What You Learn From the Streets. I just started writing little pieces of it, little pieces of it. And then they would throw buildings. Here's another five buildings to buy. So I put it on the side. Here's another. And then during the pandemic, I had a lot of downtime. It was a horrible time. But I, um, I basically finished it. I used the pandemic instead of sitting there feeling sorry for myself. I used it productively to get something done. By the way, there are so many creative people out there. They just don't do it. They don't take the chance to do it. Write it down. Put your ideas in a box. And then when you're ready to write something, you pull these things up. You say, oh, yeah, I came up with that. So I did that. Okay. And I, I wrote and finished the book. And then I threw a whole you know, luck or whatever. I got a big publisher. I come up ideas all the time and I never write them down. And I'm like, write them down, write them down. They're probably great ideas. And even if you have ideas for shows, you know, you might forget it or, you know, write them down. Okay. Okay. I have to start writing things down. I could be missing out on some like multi-million dollar opportunities. And you know, I've heard this before. A lot of successful people I have run into, they say that when they wake up in the middle of the night, they have a little notepad right beside their bed and then they write down their ideas. So got to get in the habit of doing that. And hey, maybe a lot of us had a lot of ideas come up during COVID. It's been a really tough time. Like you said, I totally agree with you. You can either sit there and do nothing during COVID or you could try to do something. And it's great that you started to write the book. Talk about COVID. Uh, last year was a horrible year. Not just as anybody, I'm talking about financial. I've lost millions of dollars last year. That That's why I like that you're so open. I wanted to touch on that because yeah. like going back to, like you said, the fundamentals, I think the other thing people forget is like, yeah, you could be really good at realistic development, but if something uncontrollable like COVID hits, right. you know, it, there's things that you don't plan for. 
it was horrible, okay? But one of the things is by mastering the fundamentals, which I did, by learning good times, bad times, being beaten up a few times and getting the experience, I knew how to handle it. Now, let's talk about that. So you had PPP money for people, okay? And I know a lot of people struggling, don't get me wrong. PPP money was what they gave businesses, but it didn't apply, they didn't give real estate anything, okay? So what they did was, let's say I have a retail center and I have three restaurants or whatever. The restaurants got PPP money and what they had to do was use that money to pay the employees basically. And they got help, but even with the help, restaurants couldn't make it. So I have a shopping center in um, Irving, good part of Irving, Texas. I had three restaurants in there. Everything was great. COVID hit. I have two vacancies. I had to know how to get a deferral from the bank, but that doesn't help me because I still have to pay it. But in the meantime, the tenancy with the PPP, they couldn't pay and they went out. Now I'm left with two vacancies. I not only lose the rent, but I have to pay the expenses. Okay. It hurt. It hurt with a loss of money. Now, if I was the type of of owner that refinanced, like every, a lot of people did, had big mortgages, they they couldn't survive. They, they There's no way you could survive. Imagine owning hotels, 10 hotels, where they're all vacant. That means you got to come out of your pocket every day and put money in, put money in. Well, no matter how rich you are, after a while, you can't do it. You've also seen the value of your property decrease. And it was just a very tough time. And as tough as I'm saying I have it, Financially, so many people had it so worse. I knew people dying. I knew, you know, so I don't want to, you know, dismiss that or, 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 you know, mitigate the importance of that. It was horrible, people's lives and, and everything. But I'm just talking about economically. It was a rough, rough year. A lot of students right now, and I know a lot of people that are maybe a little bit older too, like in their 40s or 50s have, have lost their career because of the pandemic oh, uh, and depending on whatever uh, industry they're in. So do you have any advice for people that are kind of thinking like, oh no, like maybe I chose the wrong thing. Like, how am I going to spin this around? Well, it's not just older people. It's younger people. Yeah, I feel for them too. Like people that were in studies, maybe in tourism, and they're like, oh, now this is going to take a while for it to come back. I don't know what to do. Like, Yeah, that's a very good question. And not only that, but, you know, people are not going to go back to the office. It's just not going to happen. I know people that say it will. It's not. People are going to work remotely. So, you know, it depends on the position you're in. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you have a wife, a house with a mortgage and kids, you know, it's an issue. You might take a job that you don't love, but you but you um, might need to pay the bills. For those people, what I would say is, and I'm not trying to, I really don't mean to uh, push a book or push anything. It was That was a third or fourth reason to do my course, because I thought people who are working can take this online and learn real estate. And instead of going into sales and flipping houses, which I don't really think is a career, I think it's just a, you know, I don't believe that's the way you build wealth. The other way is, you know, see what your passion is. You know, really see what your passion is. And what I, I try to tell people, kids, especially kids who, who want internships, I interview the kid first. And a lot of kids want to go into something that's wrong for them. Like they're not, they don't have sales skills. One kid wants to be a financial planner. 
Okay, so there's two types. There's financial planners that make money because they know how to sell and get clients. And then there's other ones that do the grunt work, the analysis and everything else. So what are you, young man? Do you have sales skills? Are you comfortable selling? Shyness can cost you money, I always say. Okay, but, you know, what do you have? Are you more analytical? Do you like being in the background? You like now, if you like being in the background and you don't want to do sales or you can't, then don't go into something that you know is going to require sales. Okay, go into something that requires analytical skills where you'll be happy and the company will be happy. Find out where you are in your own head. Don't fool yourself and look for, you know, I want to make a million dollars, I'll be a financial planner. Okay, you have to have entrepreneurial skills to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody is equipped to be an entrepreneur. Three things. To be an entrepreneur, you need to have three sets of skills. You need to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial skills, managing skills, and technical skills. And why nine out of ten businesses fail is because they don't possess all three. And if you don't have all three, then you have to partner or get with someone that has the other two. So have a realistic dream. Now, for people that are younger, who are really more who I work with, the younger people and the ones that I, I try to really help, I try to identify their strengths and weaknesses and let them know and say, think about it. Think about what I'm telling you. I, I hire people. I said, I wouldn't hire you for what you're telling me you like for this position, but you would be great in this position. Okay. And another problem is millennials, you know, they have a different work ethic than my generation. And I love millennials, but only that's my generation. You know, my son, (laughs) my son, Michael is, was a film major. He's a talented kid. Couldn't get a job. So now he's with me in the real estate business. He wanted no part of it at first. And now he pretty much loves it. But I'll tell you one story that might help. I have a six-month rule that I've always used in my life. Uh, when Michael was 10, he was doing nothing for the summer. He never wanted to go to sleepaway camp. I said, you're not doing nothing for the summer. What do you want to do? So a friend of mine knew someone that had a tennis camp, which had very advanced players. I said, Michael, go to tennis, try it, see if you like it. I'm not going. I hate tennis. You never played. How do you know? He goes the first day. Comes home, and I'm in the kitchen. I said, Michael, how, how was it? He goes, look at me. He's dripping. I said, you want to go back? He says, I don't know. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You, you've been signed up for a month. You're going, okay? If you don't like it after the month, I'll never mention tennis again. And so help me God, he, he became one of the best players, top 50 in Long Island, He teaches at a very prestigious country club, loves tennis. He's going to use it for the rest of his life. So a lot of people give up too early. And I saw this in Little League where the kid didn't do right away, didn't do well at baseball. So he quit baseball, went to soccer, didn't do well at soccer, quit soccer. And the parents encouraged it, you know, give yourself six months. See if you like it. Don't bitch and complain for six months when the six months are over then decide and then you can you have the right to do what you want so uh, that is uh, the best rule ever i think that a lot of people do that now too with the whole like social media thing because they see everybody living these really cool lives so they want that instant gratification like you were mentioning yeah. at the beginning and i always tell people like i've been a radio announcer uh eight years traditionally and then the last few years podcasting but i said it takes a long time to get mm-hmm 
to where I am. Like people always be like, well, why do you sound good? I was like, you're not like it. Like you didn't hear me like many, many years ago where I was frustrated and questioning why I was doing this. It takes so long. And uh, I think yeah, a lot of people give up way too fast. Well, you know, you say it takes so long. It, it really does. It really does. And it, it, it's the quality of the time you put into learning. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that can spend an hour and really get something and other people daydream for the hour and it's four hours and they get nothing. You have to get good study habits. That's why I learn, okay, to write things down because my, what type, because once it goes through my head, it went through my head. That works for me, maybe not for everybody else. Everybody's got to find the best way to get it through your head so you understand it. And too many people give up way too early. So, you know, you have to take, understand where you are, your strengths, your weaknesses. If you can make your weaknesses stronger, I had a lot of weaknesses that I had to work on a lot. And every day I learned something new. And you're starting new things. Like you said that you're starting a school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we're we're forming a school called Street Success Real Estate Academy. It's going to be an online academy. And I think it's going to be really, I haven't seen anything like it. By the way, I want to mention one thing. I don't know of any four-year degree in real estate, any any university has a four-year degree in real estate. Now, they have a real estate courses. And to the best of my ability, I've looked at all of them. They're not going to teach you what I'm going to teach you or need what needs to be done. They'll teach you theory, models, other things. But there's no, I think Syracuse is trying to do something. But there's no four-year degree in real estate. Now, real estate is changing from a trade to a profession. The days when the immigrant could come here, with no money and buy a building and then own the whole block, those are, those ways are gone. Everything is so sophisticated. Every owner knows what his building is pretty much worth because the brokers have been bombarding them with telling them how much they could get if you give them the listing. And, you know, today you need to be more specialized and more sophisticated. So where you go to big firms now, like a lot of the big management companies, like I deal with like Asset Living, Roscoe, you know, these are some of the biggest companies in the country. They hire people now from Ivy League schools, you know, and it's becoming so sophisticated that you got to really become more corporate and become more specialized and learn more. And there are no schools. I can't believe there's no schools that come up with a real estate graduate degree, a real one that I see. So there is a, a niche that I'm trying to fill as best I can. So what we're doing that's different than everyone else is we're going to give you the street smart, real life. Here's how you buy a building. Here's here's a real building that I own. Okay, I'm opening up my books to you. Here's another building that we own. Here's a retail building we own, shopping center, an industrial building, you know, as we go on. And, And we're going to make it affordable. So I want to teach inner city kids how to build up their own neighborhoods. And these are the these are really the goals. Look, I, I've made thank God I've made enough money. I, I want to make more, but that's not that is not the primary reason I'm doing this. The primary reason is use my creativity, help people. That's it. And anyone that knows me will say that. You know, um, 
I just like teaching. I like the smile when someone says, hey, you know, I really learned something from you. I just, I just really, that's my thing. Love it. And I love learning so much. And I love it when people teach you things. And I can just tell that you get excited teaching other people. So I think it's super important to uh, spread the knowledge that you have. And you're obviously doing that in many different ways. One more question before we go, because the pandemic obviously hit all of us very hard. I know that I learned a lot about myself during the pandemic. Is there anything new that you learned about yourself? I learned that the value of mastering those fundamentals, you know, and the experience, how that helped me a lot because I became a student of my game, as they say, how learning and reinforcing learning and being prepared for anything. Um, I always remember the winning team in the Super Bowl when they're interviewed and they lost, the, the loser would say, we did everything, they, they, they were prepared for everything we did. There was nothing that worked. Those are the winning teams. So I believe in, I've learned about the importance of over-preparation. And on a personal level, I'm very nostalgic and I'm constantly looking back at my life, at, at certain things that happen and, the interesting, I didn't know how to answer your question, but one of the things is self-healing. I now see the reason why certain things happened, like the family being mean to me. That wasn't because I was no good. That wasn't because of me. It was on them. It was on them, not me. So a lot of the things, I look back at my father and say, he was just mentally ill. He wasn't, it could, could, couldn't help it, you know? Um, so it's a self-healing. So I think the answer is I'm very comfortable in my own skin now. And that wasn't always the case. And I think it was a culmination of being successful um, and putting in the hard work and saying, I'm a good person. That's the first thing. You know, you got to say you're a good person, want to be a good person. I mean, I'm very opinionated, but I respect everybody. And, and I'm very excited about you know, not saying I want to retire and play golf, but that I want to now at 65 do things and have the energy to do them. I mean, that's the most unrehearsed, honest answer I can give you. I think it's great. My dad is 72 and he is still on the job site running our business. And it's because he loves it. He says he'll never quit. So we'll see what happens as he gets older. But, you know, you can you can do anything at any age, not to sound cliche, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of people that just, you know, I remember when I was young, the big thing was from the fathers, 65. They used to brag. I mean, they got 20 years in the bank. You know, they everyone just wanted to retire. And now it's like, retire and do what? And there are a lot of people that can't retire because of what went on. But the stocks, I remember five years ago, people were saying, yeah, my retirement's ruined because the stocks went in the toilet. Now the stocks are up again. I call it the biggest legalized casino in the world. I think the most important thing is to really have self-esteem and do what you want to do. But uh, so when does your book come out for everybody that's going to want to read it? It's scheduled to come out the first week in January, 2022. It's by Made for Success and Ingram's the publisher. It's called Harvard Can Teach What You Learn from the Streets by Sam Liebman. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, there's a website that we're all putting together. It's called samliebman.com and that'll be up by September. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I was very happy to be with you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for season three of Coping 19. If you want to learn more about the show, all you have to do is go over to podcastconsulting.ca where you can also get tips and tricks on how to make your own podcast and also get exposure for your business and brand with the podcast. Also, if you want to hear more episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Talk to you next time.